Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. As I said before the service began, that this Wednesday is uh, our last uh, Lenten service. Uh, we begin Holy Week next week. Uh, and I would say uh, come to the Lenten service. It's going to be great. We're going to be doing, like I said, a preparatory service. If you're interested in what that is, look in the red hymnal. Look for preparatory service. It's, a, it's an older service. It's not really done much anymore. As St. Paul says, you know, to examine yourself uh, before coming to the Lord's table. And so that's the point of that service is so we can all come together and uh, examine our hearts before God and go through the Ten Commandments and, and uh, the, the Beatitudes and all that sort of thing and uh, prepare our hearts for, uh, for Holy Communion. Uh, during Holy Week, so uh, please uh, come out for that. And uh, if you've missed any of those services, they're all available uh, online at, uh, on our, uh, on on our uh, iTunes page, Zionstone uh, UCC. We had like three really good texts of scripture, right? (laughs) They're all good texts, don't get me wrong, but it's one of those things where which one do I want to focus on, right? Like you've got this stuff about Melchizedek and Jesus and Hebrews and Jesus, uh, learning obedience through the things that he suffered and Jesus talking about in the Gospel of John with the voice and I will draw all men to myself, I will be lifted up uh, and, and I will draw everyone unto me. And we talked a little bit about that last week where Jesus makes that connection between the serpent in the wilderness being lifted up on the pole and people being healed and him being lifted up and those who believe and trust in him uh, will be healed as well. And he continued on that in John. But we're going to look a little bit at the text of Jeremiah uh, this morning. So 31, 31 to 34. I'll just reread it quickly. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law in them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant language in Jeremiah, from what I could gather, is I believe the only place in the entire Old Testament where that term new covenant is used. There are other places, like in the book of Ezekiel, where we have that really beautiful language where, I don't know if you've read, you probably have read it or heard it read, where Ezekiel the prophet says that God is going to remove, sort of like Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, right? He's going to take out that heart, right? But it's not going to be a heart of, it's probably a terrible example, I'm sorry. And some of you are like, what's, I don't understand, never mind. But God is going to remove our hearts of stone, right? And it says he's going to put in us, put inside us a heart of flesh. And we see something similar here in Jeremiah with the law being written on our hearts. The days are, in this text here in Jeremiah is probably one of the most familiar uh, portion from Jeremiah, apart from obviously Jeremiah 29 11, which is everybody's favorite verse, right? T-shirts, mugs, Isaac has it in, the, in his room, on, on his wall, when we all know it. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a great passage, but this is also really well known here from Jeremiah. The days are coming. Jeremiah is looking forward in time to what is to come. The Lord is going to do something unexpected. 
he's going to make a new covenant with both Judah and the house of, of, of Israel. And we talked about this a little bit last week because there were some similar things going on in the text, but we have to remember the fate of both, right? The, the, the Assyrians came in and basically destroyed uh, the, 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 the tribe of Israel, right? The nation of Israel and drove them away into the captivity and they were completely destroyed, never to see, be seen or heard from again. And then the people from Judah were taken into captivity in Babylon and Jeremiah is prophesying about that. But they will be restored from Babylon to Judah, but Israel, the house, the, the, the house of Israel will not be restored. They will not come back into the land. But Jeremiah says something fascinating here that God is going to make a new covenant both with Judah and with Israel, those people who have been already, or in the process, I'm not sure of the, the, the timeline here, but in the process of being destroyed, that God's gonna make a new covenant with both, bringing them both together. The fate of Israel being dispersed is not permanent. God will make a new covenant, even with those who have been judged, which should give us a lot of hope, right? <laughs> this is not something wholly new, but it is tied in with the old. God's not making a new covenant out of scratch, but he's making this new covenant built upon his covenant promises that we see in the Old Testament. It's not going to be like the covenant when God led them out of Egypt. It's not going to be like the covenant made with Noah or Abraham or Moses or David. This is something, something new. But before we get into this, where is this covenant that they broke? It's said that they broke the covenant. God says, even though you broke it, I didn't break it. Even though you broke it, I am still going to do this. In Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, God says, this is speaking through Moses, Deuteronomy is sort of Moses before he's dying He's restating the law. He's restating, these are God's commands to you as the children of Israel. Remember the covenant we made in the wilderness uh, that we broke, that led us into exile. They're at the borders of the promised land, right? Moses is about to die. Joshua is going to step up, and he's reminding them of the law, of what God asks of them and what they've said that they would do. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his way, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering in to take possession of. But if you turn your hearts away, you will not hear but are drawn to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Notice the crux of the matter here, brothers and sisters. Choose life. How? Well, he says, not just by keeping the commandments, right? That's important. Keep the commandments, walking in his statutes. But he also talked about loving God, right? He says that loving the Lord your God and walking in his ways, right? So even though you do have this aspect of these are the rules that I'm asking you to live by, one of the things that they're supposed to be doing on top of just following the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments and so forth, is loving the Lord their God. I think sometimes when we talk about law and grace, about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, sometimes we draw too fine of a line between the two. And we need to remember that tied in with the old is still this notion of loving God and serving God. There's a huge element here of worship. 
keeping his commandments is good and necessary, but the key here is the worship of the true God. Turning aside and serving other gods will result in them perishing, just like what we just saw in the Jeremiah passage centuries later. In other words, God will always be faithful to them. If they remain faithful to him, they will experience the blessing of the covenant, right? But the Jeremiah reading shows us something a little bit sad. They did not keep the covenant. God says they broke it, even though it says he was their husband. That's very strong language here, that the covenant that God makes with them, he puts that in the terms of, as, not almost, he puts it in the term as husband and wife. And in other prophetic books, you know, he uses the language of adultery to talk about how the people had turned away from him to serve and worship other gods and how that drove them into sin. So notice, so even though he would be in the right to do so, God is going to do something remarkable. He's going to make that new covenant. That doesn't mean that the old one is completely destroyed or abrogated, but it is fulfilled. God is going to do three things in this text. The first thing he's going to do, he says, I'm going to write the law on your hearts. So think about this. What did God originally write the law on? Stone tablets, right? Stone tablets. And it's a God like wrote them out, it says, with his own finger. So you have these stone tablets, and then Moses takes them, he comes down, and he sees everybody doing naughty things, and he gets so angry. What does he do? He throws them on the ground and smashes them. And then he's go back up, in the, uh, back up the mountain, and God has to give it to him again because he was so angry. But then do you remember what happened to the stone tablets? They get put inside something. They get put inside the Ark of the Covenant that Israel carries around with them. Uh, as they wander and then as they settle in the land. So you have these, these tablets, right? So, well, you probably, normal everyday people aren't going to be able to say, hey, I want to go inside the tabernacle and look at the commandments. Can you open the Ark of the Covenant for me? No, but you, at least you have them there. You have them written. It's being carried around. It's part of who they are. It's part of their religious life. It's part of their, their, their everything. The tablets were placed in the Ark that's carried around by other people. God says, my law will be written on your hearts. And where are our hearts, brothers and sisters? This is not a trick question. It's kind of a metaphysical question because is he talking about our actual physical heart or is he talking about heart in a different way? He's talking about our hearts, right? Our hearts are within us. God says, those commandments of stone that you've been lugging around with you in the wilderness, those commandments that, you, that I've given you, that you said you would follow, that you carry with you everywhere, that you're reminded of all the time, I am going to actually put the heart of those commandments inside your own heart. So you don't have to look at a tablet of stone and say, commandment number two. Ooh, I shouldn't violate that. God is taking the... I guess you could even say the ethos behind the commandments, and he's putting it in their hearts themselves so they will know it. And this is a gracious gift of God that he will do that. He then says, number two, he will be their God and they will be his people. So everyone will know God. Everyone will serve him. Everyone who comes to him will be saved. And then it says he will forgive their sin. And then it says that he, it doesn't even just say that he'll forgive their sin. He says, I will not even remember it anymore. Like this is strong language here, right? Because 
God knows all, God sees all, God is everywhere present, he fills all things, and we can talk about his attributes all day long, omniscience, omnipresence, omnipotent, all that, all that good stuff that theologians like to throw around. This is very strong language here. God is, is using this strong language to emphasize, I'm going to forgive all of your sins to the extent, is, to the extent that I will not remember them anymore. So the conditional nature of this Mosaic covenant seems to no longer be completely at play here. God's forgiveness and his forgetting of their sin enables them to be able to know him. So brothers and sisters, it's this forgiveness. When we talk about it, it's important because it's only in Jesus Christ and in his redemptive action that it is enacted. And I was thinking about this on the way here, thinking to myself and thinking about how Sunday after Sunday, time after time, <laughs> week after week, well, not year after year, because I'm in my second year here, but year after year, we, what do we keep coming back to in every single sermon, every single service? We all come back to Jesus Christ. Because our lives, I heard somebody say once, our, our lives are Christological, they're patterned after the image of Christ. And so every sermon, right, is going, we have to have something of Jesus in every sermon, or, or, or at least something of, of what he came to do, because that's why, that's why we're here. So we can never hear enough of the goodness and the love of God and in what he's done for us in Jesus Christ through his passion. But all three of these things are fulfilled in Jesus. So the law in our hearts, right, we receive Christ, we believe Christ, we, we place our faith in him, and Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about that at Pentecost. That's the law written in our hearts. Jesus restores our union and our communion with God. So this promise that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people, this is not just for the, the, the Jews, right? This is not just for a specific group of people at an ethnic, an ethnic group of people at a particular time, in a particular place, in a backwater part of the world. This is a promise that is then opened to all people, to all people, not just to one particular group, but to everyone, that our sins will be forgiven, that God will remember our sins no more, that he will forgive them through Jesus Christ, that through Jesus our, our union with God is restored, our communion with God is restored. Jesus, number three, he has forgiven our sins through the blood of his cross. And this fulfills the passage in Jeremiah that God says, I will forgive and forget your sins. Jesus has accomplished that through the blood of his cross. It's this forgiveness, brothers and sisters, that lays the groundwork and the model we follow to forgive those who have sinned against us and against those whom we have sinned. If God can, can, can say, I forgive your sin, and I choose to not remember it anymore, we can also then respond in the same way against those who have sinned against us and say, I choose to hold that against you no more. I think that we often overlook the language of God as spouse, and we don't want the God that we worship to have claims over us sometimes, I think, over our behavior, over how we live, or how we live the life that he has given us in the first place. This independence that we have chafes against responsibility. 
And in Deuteronomy, this option to choose life was mentioned. I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore, therefore choose life. And, and in closing today, I just want to say that uh, we choose life by placing our faith, our hope, our trust, our worship in Jesus Christ. Not just mere belief or mental assent, right? There's a temptation to say, I believe all of the right things about Jesus. I believe all of the right things about God. I affirm we worship one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I affirm the resurrection on the third day. I affirm that Christ, Christ's bodily resurrection. I believe in, in all of that stuff. But it's not just an affirmation of beliefs that we tick off in a box that we can then say, see God, we're good. Here's my ticket to heaven. It's punched. I'm ready to go. It's not just mental assent it's placing our faith, it's placing our trust, our hope, everything in we are in Jesus Christ. That through him, God has chosen to forgive us our sins, that God has forgotten our iniquities, and that God has reunited fallen humanity with himself. We also choose life, brothers and sisters, by offering God true worship. True worship keeps us from turning away to the gods of this world, to the things that, that, that demand our attention. We come to church, we're here an hour and a half, maybe sometimes an hour, 15 minutes, it depends on how long I preach. Some of you are already like, come on, man, this is, <laughs> this is taking too long. You're taking too long. But, brothers and sisters, worship, I get you for an hour and a half on a Sunday, right? six other days of the week, it's everything else. Unless we have Lenten services and you're on Wednesday. So I have you for a couple of hours one day a week, but then the world has you the rest of the time. And that can be difficult because the things of this world, the ethos of this world, the mores and the values of this world clash against the values and mores of the kingdom of God. And so when we come here, true worship keeps us from turning away to the false gods of this world. And if you want to hear more about that, go back. We did a sermon series called What's the Point uh, last year. So you can go, that's online. Go, go, go listen to that. Plug, 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 plug. Thirdly, we realize that we are not our own. We choose life by realizing we are not our own. When we are baptized into Christ, that this is not just an empty ritual. It's not just something that we enact just because we're trying to be obedient. It kind of is. Like, we are being obedient, but God is actively doing something. When we come to Christ, when St. Paul says in Galatians, we are clothed in Christ, right? When we encounter Christ in the baptismal waters, we are, our sins are washed away, and through no work of our own, God grants us forgiveness of sins, and he justifies us. Sins are forgiven, and new life has begun, but that means, brothers and sisters, that we are not our own. That means that we are God's, that we belong to God, that our life belongs to him and should be lived in service to him. And that should make us think then and stop and say this should affect and this should change. If I belong to God, I do not belong to myself, it should make us think about the choices that we make, about the things that we do about the things maybe that we say, about how we choose to treat others. There's a wonderful prayer that I pray in the morning sometimes, and part of it says, help me, Lord, to treat all that come to me through the day 
with the understanding that your will governs all things. Our sins are forgiven. New life has begun. Our lives are turned towards serving God. And so this new covenant, this covenant, and this is the title of the sermon, of forgiveness, knowledge, and union is ours, brothers and sisters, through a gracious act of God. Not by works, but of God's good gift to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be all glory, together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Mike Landsman. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ. You know, we have deep roots here in the local community, and our history is fascinating in that we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're interested in worship that is traditionally grounded and scripturally faithful, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionstoneucc.com, or you can look us up on Facebook, zionstoneucc. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at malandsman at gmail.com. Again, God bless you. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to have you visit our church in the near future.